a couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at a carol service at a university, and I was uh, welcoming people, speaking to a few members that are part of the hosts, um, and as I was doing so, the room was filling up, and I looked um, in, I peered into the room, and realised that it was filling up quite quickly, and I didn't yet have a seat, so I... Um, went down towards the front to try and find a, find a seat. And I came into the second row and sat um, just in a little space next to someone. He'd just um, scooched in next to me as well. And um, he turned to me and uh, said, hi, um, who are you? How are you? Something like that. Some kind of small talk. But he was obviously flustered. So I said, um, oh, are you okay? And he said to me, oh, well, you know what? I just don't want to be here. My friend invited me, and I can't find him. And the last thing I want to do is listening, listen to an old, boring priest by myself. So there I was, sat next to him, thinking, what on earth do I say next when I'm about to go and stand up in front of him? Now, I decided to move on quite quickly and not tell him. So it was a joyous moment when I stood up at the front and looked him in the face and said, it's a real joy to be here. I hope you're glad to be here as well. <laughs> See, you won't relate to someone rightly until you really know who they are. I wonder if that guy had realised that he'd sat next to me, he probably wouldn't have wanted to say what he said. He probably wouldn't have said he didn't want to listen to some old guy. He probably wouldn't have said he didn't want to be there. He might not have said that he didn't want to listen to someone boring. <laughs> I, I don't know. But until you know who someone is, you can't relate to them rightly. As we approach Christmas, we've talked about it already, I wonder how it is that you relate to the person of Jesus. Whether you've been following him for years, or whether you've not even looked into him personally. How do you relate to Jesus? It depends on who you really think he is, doesn't it? When the guy came and sat next to me, what he said was based on who he thought I was. He clearly didn't think I was about to stand up in front of him and start speaking, otherwise he wouldn't have said what he said. I wonder how you've been introduced to Jesus. I wonder how your view of Jesus has been built over time. Started maybe with baby Jesus, meek and mild in a manger. Maybe now it is still being filled with lots more information. But how is it that that changes the way that we interact with Jesus day by day? See here, John's desperate to introduce Jesus well. He's desperate to introduce Jesus in a way that we might interact with him rightly. Our whole series has almost served as a long introduction to the person of Jesus, the great rescuer. But here, as John introduces, he pulls together what we've seen and he introduces this man, Jesus, with a couple of words that we're going to look at. He uses these three words, word, light and life. <clears throat> Jesus is the word. Have a look down at John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. See, John chooses to start his biography, his account of Jesus' life, with the same three words that start the whole Bible. 
He does it on purpose to help us lift our eyes to see how big the story is that Jesus fits into. At the very beginning of eternity, there was Jesus. Look at verse 3. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So at the beginning of creation, Jesus was there. Everything that exists comes from Jesus. His work in creation shows us what God's like. It's a revealing work. It's a communicating work. In the Psalms, it speaks of how creation speaks, declares God's glory. This is what it means. And when we think of the person of Jesus, we need to think bigger than just a baby in a manger. Now, maybe that's obvious. But we need to think bigger often than we realise. Because from the beginning of eternity, Jesus was in relationship and the first moment, at the first moment of creation. Jesus was revealing what God is like to his people. And now, John wants to introduce, have a look down at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. See John's introduction, what he wants to say? Think big. From the very beginning of eternity... Jesus has been in relationship with the Father and at this moment I'm introducing him as he takes on flesh, as he comes to this earth. Maybe you've said before to yourself, why doesn't God just show himself? Maybe you've thought, why doesn't God just communicate obviously to us? Well, from the beginning of John's Gospel, we've got little excuse God reveals himself through Jesus in his creation as he comes to this earth and in the words of his book. John uses the term word to describe Jesus, to describe him, not just what he says. It's not just what Jesus says is his message to us. Because if that were the case, Christianity would be a moralistic religion. It would just be follow what Jesus says. But instead, Jesus is the word, God's full and decisive message to us. This is what Hebrews chapter one, verse one says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. See, this point in our long series marks the arrival of Jesus onto the scene. And as we approach Christmas and we start to celebrate the arrival of baby Jesus, we don't just celebrate the birth of a new life in history, but the incarnation which, as some of our Spanish and Italian speakers will helpfully point out, is from the word carne, flesh, or maybe you're an avid prezzo goer. Um, <laughs> carne means flesh. So it's the moment that Jesus took on flesh. It's not the moment that he was created, but the moment he took on flesh. One of the brilliant things about Christmas is songs that have rich 
words that you've probably never heard or used very often, like the previous song, Unfurling. What a good one. Um, now, what about O Come All Ye Faithful? We get these words from the Nicene Creed. Very God, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. See, John wants to introduce a new baby who's not a new creation. In fact, he wants to introduce Christ the Lord, who's never been created, but has eternally been in relationship with the Father. And he's God's full and decisive message to us. Do you see at the beginning of this account of Jesus' life, this is John saying, think big as you look at the person of Jesus. Jesus is the word. The question is, do you listen to him? Do you let his words matter in your life? Do you make time to listen to what he says? Do you let him inform your decisions? Secondly, Jesus is the life. Have a look down at verse four. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jesus was there with God. Everything came out of Jesus. He's the author of life. Everything we know to be life is from Jesus. So then what's the difference there in verse four to what he's already said in verse one? Why does he go on? Why does he elaborate? John goes on using the word life through the rest of his account. He builds this picture of what life is, a rich account of all that Jesus offers. But ultimately here, he uses the word life as a stark contrast to what we have without Jesus. John introduces Jesus as the one we desperately need. Remember two weeks ago, the scene in the Valley of Dry Bones, the crunching, the death, a picture of death, death, death. If you're here, you'll remember it was painful. The state of the human heart without God, before God intervenes. Walking, talking, breathing, living, but spiritually dead. And the stories and the accounts of what we've looked at through the whole series has been the same. There's nothing we can do by ourselves to mend our fractured hearts, to sort our own situation. The Bible says that we're addicted to living that way without God. We want the status and the experience of what the world has to offer, the momentary highs, living for ourselves. I was confronted whilst looking at the internet this week with this question. If you knew you were going to die one year from today, what would you do and how would you want to be remembered? And it's a revealing question because naturally all of our answers would be, I'd do everything that satisfies myself and I'd want to be remembered for greatness. Naturally, we'd all say something along those lines. And our addiction, our way of living, apart from God, leads to death. We don't realise it, but our actions result in death. That's what John's saying here. 
ultimately after death, God will judge people. And based on how they've lived, it's of course a really scary picture. So how is it that in that context, John speaks of life, that Jesus offers life? Jesus, the one there at the beginning in whom all life came, he came to earth, he made his dwelling among us, he lived as the only person who didn't live that way to offer the right life to all that that would trust in him. See, Jesus claims later on in this account that there's no good alternative to life in Jesus. There can't be because all life comes from Jesus. And when the eternal word, the author of life itself, comes to offer all of us this life, we can be pretty sure that's an offer worth taking up. Jesus is the life, the author of life, and he offers us life eternal. Will we accept that offer? Will we go on trusting that that is the best life for us? Will we reject all the things that the world offers, say that life is all about paychecks, cars, appearance, achievements, reputations, houses? Will you enjoy those things by finding true life in Jesus? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Thirdly, Jesus came to the earth as the light. I wonder, have you ever been on your own in darkness, utter darkness? A couple of weeks ago, I was um, persuaded, encouraged to join a few friends at a race, an evening race, a race at Stowe Gardens. If you've been there, you'll know it well. It's a lovely um, scenic evening um, place to stroll around in the summer when you've got lots of light. Um, Now, I'm a bit of a keen runner, but really, I much prefer the light, the solid ground, um, the warmth. I'm a bit of a fair weather runner, to be honest. I didn't quite anticipate the implication of a garden night trail race in November. It, It soon dawned on me, though, as we arrived, and I looked around, and you had some of the keenest runners wearing all kinds of equipment from light-up laces to mining head torches. And I realised as I looked down at myself in shorts and T-shirt and my brother's Energizer head torch that he used for DV five years ago that had not seen any new batteries, that I was pretty ill-prepared. But at the start line, I was thinking, how bad can it be? Everyone's got torches. I can just, you know, just cope. Now, Vinny, Lanks, and myself were running together and we decided to stick together, partly because of the three of us, only one had an adequate head torch. And I couldn't really see the floor very well. It quickly became clear that as we started running, it only took five, ten minutes to realise that without the one good head torch between us, we were helpless. We were literally helpless. It quickly became clear that in order to get round the course, 
the two of us who didn't have the head torch had to cling to the one of us who did have the head torch. Literally, in step, we had to be so close because we were utterly dependent. Because walking in darkness, you can do nothing by yourself. Walking or running in darkness, you can do nothing by yourself. And the Bible says that we are walking in darkness. When it comes to our relationship with God, there is nothing we can do by ourselves. Scrabbling around in the darkness, nothing we can do. Look at verse four and five. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. See, Jesus comes not just to show the way, to show the problem, to show us how to live. Jesus is the way. If I were to run round Stowe Gardens, watching the person with the head torch thinking, okay, I'll try and do it like that, it just wouldn't have worked. I needed to be right there with the light. I had to cling to them. I had to walk in step. <coughs> Look at verse five. And the darkness has not overcome it. Ultimately, Jesus' life maybe didn't look so much of a victory at one stage. It ended in death on a cross. It looked maybe that it wasn't a victory. A punishment that is deserved by people addicted to finding life outside of God's goodness. That's what you and I deserve. But Jesus didn't stay dead. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Three days later, Jesus came back to life, proving that punishment had been paid, proving that there is life after death, proving that an eternal relationship with God is a real offer to those that trust in Jesus. Jesus is the light that overcomes darkness, offering life. The question is, will we recognize how helpless we are without him? Scrambling around in the dark, not being able to put one foot in front of the other, that dependent on Jesus. Will we do that? Not just for the first time admitting that we're helpless without him, but continually recognizing that without Jesus, we can't go it on our own. As John introduces Jesus here at the beginning of his account, what he wants to say is huge. But it tells us something about us as well, that the stakes are high. It's not like when the guy came and sat next to me on the second row of the carol service, turned to me and said, I'm not looking forward to listening to an old boring priest because really it didn't matter when I stood up looked him in the eye we really had a bit of a joke there wasn't much more to it than that but John wants to say the stakes are so high for how every individual relates to Jesus they couldn't be any higher if we receive Jesus just as John introduces him if we relate to him based on what John says, then we escape this death and darkness. And what's on offer for us is new life. 
Maybe this afternoon you'd say you don't follow Jesus personally. Maybe you're willing to look into what he offers. Maybe you're ready to receive him, to believe in his name and have this new life that's offered in verse 12 and 13. And maybe you're sat in the room and you've already done that. Maybe you've done that weeks, months, years ago. But the stakes are high too. Will you go on relating to Jesus as your great rescuer? Will you listen to Jesus, the eternal word? Will you trust in him, the author and offerer of life? Will you cling to him, the light, the one true light? Maybe as we look at the person of Jesus and we've been reminded from this chapter who it is Jesus is, you challenge to think and reassess how it is you interact with Jesus regularly. We've got a book out um, that we've bought that we're giving away. Um, it's uh, a devotions book for the whole of Advent. I'd love you, we'd love you to take them away this afternoon. Um, it's the 1st of December, so it's worked perfectly. Take it away, read it this evening, and could be a real help as you go on relating to Jesus based on who he is, reading daily about this man Jesus, filling your mind with the truth about him that you'd relate to him properly. Please take it on the way out. It's out in the foyer. Take it, one per family. Um, there's enough to go around. Because John wants to say, the identity of Jesus is so crucial. He's the word, God's full and decisive message to us. If ever we're not clear on what God says, we've got his word to return to. Will we go on listening to him? He's the life, the author of life, the offer of life eternal to the full as John expands for the rest of his gospel. Life to the full and for eternity is offered in this man, Jesus. And he's the light that overcomes darkness, offering life. Just picture the scene with me. A couple of weeks ago, there we are at Stowe Trail Race. Head torches on, one working between the three of us. And in that moment... What becomes clearer than ever is that walking in the darkness, you could do nothing by yourself. Absolutely dependent on the one light that we had between the three of us. This afternoon, as we look at the person of Jesus, the one true light who overcomes darkness, offering life, the challenge is the same. Will you cling to with all you've got to the one true light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that your word speaks truth to us. We thank you that it speaks truth about your son, Jesus, who came to this earth to rescue us, to show us what you're like. We thank you so much that he offers us life though we don't deserve it and though we've actively tried to find life in all other ways. 
And Father, we thank you so much that Jesus is the light that has overcome darkness. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to cling to him. Father, we pray that you'd help us to interact rightly to him, to go on trusting him. Amen.